0: So there are some pretty crazy and honestly quite amazing survival stories out there of people who have been in these extreme circumstances and have managed to come out alive. I read the story of a man named Ricky McGee. And Ricky uh, was driving through the Australian outback and he saw some hitchhikers on the side of the road and he, he picked them up to give them a ride. But little did he know that these Hitchhikers had bad intentions, and they drugged Ricky, beat him up, stole his car, and left him for dead. But Ricky then went on to go and survive 71 days, fighting off dingoes in the wilderness, eating frogs, leeches, and snakes, and drinking his own urine to stay hydrated. He lost 100 pounds during his 71 days in the Australian Outback, but he was eventually found... By some cattle ranchers and survived. Or another story of a, of a man named Jose Alvarengo, he was a Salvadorian fisherman who had taken a fishing, tri- fishing trip out into the open waters with a friend of his named Ezekiel. And while they were out at sea, a, a very intense five-day storm came upon them and they were blown off course and the storm destroyed all of their radar, all of their radio and the motor of their boat. And so their boss sent out a, a search squad for them, but after two days of searching, the men were presumed dead. But the two men, uh, alone and without food and supplies, survived on that ship by eating raw fish, turtles, and jellyfish. They drank the rainwater that the Lord had provided and turtles' blood in order to survive. But eventually one of them, Ezekiel, fell ill and passed away. And now Jose was truly alone, On this boat. And after nine months of being by himself on this boat, he spotted a small island in the horizon and he abandoned his boat and swam to shore and was rescued. And he survived for a total of 438 days out on that boat by himself in the middle of the ocean. Now one thing, the the reason I tell you this is one thing that I noticed from all of these survival stories who have have gone through these intense situations and managed to, to make it out, they all followed a few simple principles if they were going to survive. Those principles were they needed to get food, they needed to get water, they needed shelter, and they couldn't give up hope. And if they were able to maintain these things, they would be able to survive long enough that someone would come along and would rescue them. And the reason that I mention that is because Today, I want to give you a few simple principles for how you can survive. And not survive time out in the the wilderness, but how you can survive the Christian life. Which, if we are honest, it can often feel like at times we are out in the wilderness. Like we are out there in the midst of the storms, wondering if we are going to make it to the end or not. Trial. After trial after trial seem to come barreling at us with no end in sight. As soon as we might, you know, get a victory in one area, you know, maybe have a have a success in a relationship or have a success, uh, and, and we're struggling financially, and the Lord blesses us, we we get this reprieve from pain, but then all of a sudden, another hardship just comes our way, and it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose faith. It's easy to just throw our hands up and say, I'm done with it. I'm done with this. This is too hard and I can't do it anymore. If that's you this morning, if you've been in the midst of a storm for a long time or, or in, in the midst of all of these little storms continually coming and hitting you, know that you're not the first Christian to say, I'm ready to throw in the towel. And you're not the last Christian to do that either. Psalm 55 The words of David as he's surrounded by his enemies, experiencing the storms of life, I think is is some words that we can all really resonate with. You know, how often do you feel like this, what he says here? Oh, that I had wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. Maybe that's exactly how you're feeling this morning. And with our sermon, I hope that I can inspire hope in you to, to, to hold on to some of these basic survival strategies that are going to get you through those storms. You know, the word, the, the word tells us that when storms come and that they are going to come, you know, if you're not experiencing trials right now, Don't expect that life is going to continue on without any trials. But the word says don't don't expect to have no trials, but expect to have them and expect to persevere through them through these particular ways. And so we're going to look at three truths and a warning that we need to keep in mind if we are going to survive the storms of life. Just as those lost in the wilderness needed to, to follow these simple steps in order to survive long enough to be rescued, If we will hold on to these truths and heed these warnings, we'll also survive long enough. Long enough for when Jesus comes again and Jesus rescues us out of the storms of life. When they will finally and fully cease and we won't have to bear them anymore. And so if you're not already there, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. And I'll read our passage this morning. Luke chapter eight verses twenty two to twenty five. So if you remember, Jesus just given the parable of the sower, and he related that to the idea of letting our light shine uh, before all that are around us. Then he talks about who the true family of God is—that is, those who do and do the will of God and the works of God. And now, after he's done ministering there, he says this to his disciple, or this—this this is what we're, is recorded for us. One day. And the waves, and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? This is the word of the Lord so as I said, this morning we're going to look at three truths and a warning for surviving the storms of life. Now quickly, these truths are not exhaustive. Meaning that uh, these are not the only truths that we need to know to survive the storms of life. There's more out there. For example, setting our hope on the future and final resurrection that is to come for those who are in Christ is going to help us get through the storms of life. Setting our minds upon the heavenly city. Setting our minds upon the coming of Christ. Linking hands with our fellow believers as we we continue on this difficult race together. All of these things are also going to help us survive the storms of life. But what we're going to focus on is, is the truths that we see in this passage that's before us. And those three truths are this. The first truth is this. That God sometimes sends us into storms. God sometimes sends us into storms. That's the first truth. The second truth is that God understands us and is with us in the storms. And then the third truth, and the most important truth, is that God is sovereign over all the storms. So these are the three truths that we need to hold to for survival. And then before we finish, there's also one warning that's given. That warning is this. That storms can cause you to forget those three truths I just told you about. Storms can cause you to say, none of those, I, I can't believe those to be true right now. And we'll get to that at the end of the sermon. So first, our first truth, God sometimes sends us into storms. Look at verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And so Jesus and disciples have been ministering near the area of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus decides that he would like to go into the boat and to cross over uh, to, a, to a town on the far side of the lake. And at that moment, the sea that they're looking out to is, is calm. Or else the disciples, some of them being experienced fishermen, would have said to Jesus, What are you, crazy, Jesus? There's a storm going on. We're not, we're not going to go out in the middle of a storm into sea that's that's a one way one way ticket to death and also remember you know at that time besides what you can see in the sky you can't predict weather patterns in the same degree that we are able to today you know i can pull up my phone and i can look at whether or not it's going to rain 14 days from now now whether that's accurate or not is another discussion most of the time it's it's not but that's besides the point. The point is the disciples are entering what appears for them to be a calm sea. But an unexpected storm can can sneak up very quickly in this area and can put you in great harm if you're out at sea. And so I don't think the disciples know that a storm is coming. But I think the the better question is does Jesus know that a storm is coming? You know, Jesus is the one who initiates the trip across the lake. Was he unaware that a storm was coming, that the disciples and himself would be at risk? Or did he know that the storm was coming and still send them out anyway? Well, I find it highly unlikely that Jesus didn't know that the storm was coming. Jesus is all-knowing. We've already seen him read the minds of men to know the thoughts of men What they're thinking just to themselves, and so surely he knows that a storm is coming. And yet instead of saying, hey guys, I just want to let you know, I just want to tell you, I want to spare you the trouble of this storm, a storm is coming, and and I said we should go out, but we should actually wait, and then we should go after the storm passes. No, he says to them, let's get into the boat, and let's go. And that leads to the first point of the sermon. That God sometimes sends us into storms. Now that immediately raises a question, and that is, why would God do that? I mean, storms are, are scary. They're dangerous. We could perish or we could get hurt. I thought God loved me. I thought God cared for me. I thought God was on my side. Why would he ever send hardship or trial or suffering or storms into my life? that doesn't seem to be compatible with what I know to be true about God's love and God's care for me? Well, it's a good question. And thankfully, God's Word has a ton to say on this topic. And so why does God send us into storms? Well, first we see in our passage that God sends us into storms to teach us. See, God sent his disciples into the storm to teach them about himself and who he really is. And we're, we're, we're going to get to that later as to what he's actually teaching them. And likewise, trials and hardships that we all face are sent or allowed by God to teach us. Maybe it's to teach us something about ourselves and our own sin, Maybe it's to to teach us something about God and his greatness. Maybe it's to teach us something about the world around us and how it can't satisfy our pleasures, how we can't put our hope and trust in the world. Trials provide great opportunities for teaching. And if you're a parent, you know this to be true. Some of the greatest teaching moments with your children is when something has gone wrong and you have to teach them a lesson through it. Maybe they they get bullied at school, and you have to teach them about God's love and their identity in Christ and how Christ is enough, no matter what others say. Maybe someone they they love has passed away, and you use that trial and that storm as a as a time to teach them about sin and death and and the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we should always be teaching our children these things. But trials and storms come like these intensive study classes. You're normally in school, you're learning things over you know, a six-month period of time, nice and slow so you can, you can wrap your mind around it and you can, you can learn it, learn it uh, over a long period of time. But what trials are like is they're like these, these two-week intensive courses that you study where you just are learning, 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 learning. There's no, no stopping of the learning. That's what our trials are like. They, they, they teach us in a, in a concentrated form things about us, ourselves, and about God. Because that's the first reason why God might be sending you into a storm right now. You know, what is he trying to teach you? Ask him. Seek his word. Pray that the Spirit would reveal to you in his word what he is trying to teach you. That's the first reason. The second reason God sends us into storms is that storms test our faith. Storms test our faith. Augustine said it well when he said, trials come to prove and improve us. We'll talk about the improve us later, but they come to prove us. They they test the genuineness of our faith. You see, faith isn't required or tested in times of splendor and prosperity. It's in times of trouble and of trial when our faith is tested. Think of a king who has this great and mighty castle that he's set up and he's built these wonderful walls that he's so proud of and he brags about these walls. Well, a king's faith in the castle walls is not shown when the castle's standing there beautifully. His faith is shown is when the, is when the enemy is marching down towards his castle and they're bombarding the castle walls. If he runs and he flees, it shows he didn't have any faith in the castle walls. If he stands there and holds his ground, he has faith in the walls that are before him. And the same is true for the Christian. Your faith in God is tested when trials, when enemies are at your gate. Do you actually trust God when it counts? Or is your faith merely a matter of Lip service when when times are dandy. I think of the contrast between Job and his wife, and that's helpful. You know, Job's wife says to him, God has taken everything from you, and you still refuse to curse him, and you still trust in him. That's bizarre. That's that's bonkers. And Job replies to her, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God? And not trouble? Job's faith was being tested in his trials. Is he going to trust the Lord when his barns are full or when they're empty? That shows what our true faith is. Job's not going to run, tuck tail, turn on God when times get tough. And if you're in a trial this morning, God might be putting you through that same test. Testing whether or not you actually trust in him. And then the third reason God sends us into storms is to grow and purify our faith. And the Bible talks about this all the time. You know, purification through fire and affliction. Think of it this way. Let's say you're, you're, you're walking through the forest and you, you come across this this knife that's stuck in the ground, kind of buried a little bit. And you pick it up and, and you can see that it's really a beautiful knife, but it's all dirty and it's dull and, it, and it's really good for nothing because it can't do anything. Well, in order for that knife to be transformed back into a, a nice and beautiful knife that it, that, it, that it once used to be, what do you need to do to it? You need to scrub it hard. You need to, to treat it with these harsh chemicals. Maybe you need to throw it back into... The fire, maybe you need to, to sharpen it with this hard and, and, and rough stone. And You see, the knife that you're, you're taking is being handled pretty roughly, and it takes a beating. But what comes out in the end is, is, is this new, clean, sharp, effective, and useful knife. All that hard handling was to remove the imperfections. Well, our trials do the exact same thing. They root out the sin that is deep within us that we might not have noticed apart from a difficult trial. You know, perhaps a hardship in your marriage. And that hardship in your marriage is revealing that maybe you're a lot more selfish than you actually thought you were. Or what about a financial struggle? You you lose out on a bunch of money on a bad deal. Well, maybe God is working to root out a love of money that you've had in your your life that you wouldn't have noticed otherwise. Or maybe it's an oppressive government. And that oppressive government by persecuting people is rooting out this, this sense where we've exalted our government to the state of God and we trust in them for everything instead of trusting in God for our security. See, these storms in your life are sent to purify you, to remove the evil and sin that's in your life. And so that is the, the first of our survival truths. God sometimes sends you into storms. Maybe he's got you in a storm right now. And you need to know it's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he doesn't care for you. It's the exact opposite of that. He disciplines those whom he loves. He refines those whom he cares for. And so look how he is trying to teach you, to test you, or to purify you more into the image of Christ through whatever storm you might be in. So that's the first truth. Now moving on to the second truth to help us survive the storms of life, and that is that God understands and is with us in the storm. Look at verse 23. And as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake And they were filling with water and were in danger. Now Luke here, as well as Matthew and Mark in their Gospels, make sure that we know one very interesting fact about this whole endeavor on the boat and in the storm. And that is that Jesus is sleeping on the boat. That all of this is going on, the storm is raging, and Jesus is taking a nap. Now, why does he want us to know this? Why, why do they mention this in all of the accounts? To be, some people might, so there's certain miracles or things that happen where, where people who doubt the Bible will be like, well, that was probably true because it's a little bit of an embarrassing moment for Jesus. This is one of those. You know, so why, why, is, why is, is, are, are the authors mentioning that, that Jesus is lying there tired and asleep? And I think the primary reason is because it's meant to show us the humanity of Christ. The humanity of Christ. And let me develop this a little bit. You see, Jesus was a man, just like you and me, who needed to rest. He was someone who got weary from doing the work of the ministry and from traveling around. He was someone who got hungry and who needed to eat. He was someone who got sad and who cried at times. He was someone who got angry. And disappointed with what he saw around him. You know, he experienced all of these things that, that we experience as humans. And now why is that important for us to understand that Jesus is a man like us? Well, because if Jesus is a man like us, you can know that He understands you, that He understands the temptations that you face, that he understands the pain that you experience, maybe in your body and in your soul, that he understands what abandonment feels like. He understands what it is like to have all of his friends leave him and not care about him. He knows what it's like to live in a sinful world. And that is meant to give us comfort. You probably don't think about this very much, but being understood is very important to us. We really desire as a people empathy. We're drawn to empathy. We're drawn to empathetic people who are going to understand us and know what we're walking through. If a rich man comes up to a poor man and says, I know what it's like not to get everything I want, I I needed to buy a new car and I had to buy a Toyota instead of a Tesla. I would probably take the Toyota, but that's a different point. the poor man is going to laugh at him and say, "You don't understand what it's like. You don't understand what it's like to have to struggle to put a meal on the table for your family. You have everything that you could ever want. You don't know me. you don't know what it's like to suffer. You can't understand. But Je- and, and, and if Jesus was just God, then we could maybe say that. We could say, "Jesus, you don't understand." what it's like to be tempted by sin. God can't be tempted. You don't understand what it's like to have your body be ached with pain for years and years and years. You don't understand what it's like to have people leave and abandon you. But Jesus can say, I, I understand exactly what all of those things feel like. I took on the form of a man and I took on the form of, of a servant and now I understand you and I know exactly what you are feeling in every circumstance you find yourself in. You see, Jesus completely understands all the emotions that go running through your mind, all of the non-sinful emotions that go running through your mind when the storms of life come. Hebrews 4 verse 15 to 16 says it beautifully. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. That is, the weakness of being a man or a woman. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace, God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Loneliness, injustice, pain, rejection, disappointment, temptation, all of these things, Jesus understands it. And so if you've ever struggled with these, if you ever think no one understands you and you're, you're, you're in these storms and trials alone and your situation is unique and different, know that Jesus does understand you and that you can run to him for strength and grace to get through it. And also know this, that Jesus is right there with you in the storms. Jesus is testing his disciples here by sending them into the storms. But does isn't just send them out on their own. Jesus goes with them. He is, he, there, there is never a moment where Jesus does not see you where you are. There's never a point where Jesus lets go of your hand as you're walking through the trial. You know, Jesus' last words to his disciples, we can take and we can grab and, and, and claim them as our own. And that is, that I am always with you to the end of the age. You are never alone. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. And so that's survival truth number two, that God understands you and that he is with you always. Now we've gone to our third truth, and the most important truth that we need to know for survival And that is that God is sovereign over the storm. God is sovereign over the storm. Look at verse 24 and 25. And they went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this, that he even commands the winds and water, and they obey him? See, what happens here is really what this whole story is all about. If you walk away from the sermon wanting to know what the main point is, this is it. That Jesus holds all power over creation. Jesus holds all power over creation. Jesus is sovereign. He, he awakens from his sleep, and then without any effort, he rebukes the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. I'm not sure if we recognize how big of a deal this is, probably because we know this story so much. But the amount of power that it would take to completely dissipate a storm of this magnitude is astronomical. You know, I I like to like a little child play in the waves at the beach, and sometimes I'll kind of try to get in the way of a wave, and it'll smack into me, and I can't even stop one wave from getting to the shore, let alone all the waves of the sea and the wind along with it. And Jesus does this without a a, a drop of sweat. And so the disciples, they're, they're right on track when they're standing there and they're afraid and they're marveling saying, who is this that he even commands the wind and the water and they obey him? No mere man can do such a thing. No mere man can speak to the waves and they answer his call. And so the obvious conclusion then is what? That Jesus is no mere man. He is a man that he slept, that he eats, that he understands us. But he's no mere man. He is God himself in the flesh. Job 38 asks a series of questions. God is is talking to Job and this is what he says. He says, Who shut the sea with the doors when it burst forth from the womb? Who made the clouds its garment? Who says to the waves, Thus far shall you come and no further? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm? Who has storehouses of snow and hail saved for a day? And the answer is obvious. It's not Job. It's not any man. It's God alone. And what Jesus does here shows us that that is exactly who he is. The very God of the universe, the universe that responds to every wish and desire of Christ. If you remember I said earlier that God is teaching us stuff through storms and trials. Well, this is what Jesus is teaching the disciples here. That he is the one true God, that he has control over all things, that even the mightiest earthquake, earthquake, the biggest hurricane, the most tremendous tsunami would take Jesus zero effort to stop. And if Jesus has power and control over, over these things, do you not think that he can handle what it is that you are going through? What, what, what you're going through might, might look really big. And it might actually be a really big storm. I'm not denying that. But remember who it is who is on your side. The God who spoke and everything came into existence. The God who calls forth the mountains from the earth and draws the boundaries of the sea. The God who has an army of myriads and myriads of angels waiting to obey his call and his word. The God to whom all of creation bows. Believe me, believe me, he can handle, he can handle any storm that you are facing right now. If God is for us, what can, what can befall us apart from his will? God is sovereign over the storm. And so these are the three truths for, for surviving the storms of life. God sometimes is the one who sends us into storms. Yet, he doesn't send us alone because he understands us and he's with us. And of even greater encouragement, he's sovereign over that storm that we are walking into. But before we finish, I want to look at our last point. And it's not so much a survival truth as much as it is a warning to us. And the warning is this. Storms can cause you to forget these truths that we just talked about. Storms can, can, can trick you away from being able to survive them. And we see this with the disciples. They've, they've already seen Jesus do some amazing things. Jesus healed the sick. He's cleansed the leper. He has cast out demons. He's even raised people from the dead. The, the, the disciples are, are witnessing all of these things happen with their very eyes before God. And yet, when the storm comes raging around them, they forget they forget who Jesus is. And Jesus rebukes them for it. He says, where is your faith? Why are you so afraid? Why are you not trusting me and trusting in God? And that's so often true for us. You know, I, I imagine when I told you some of the truths, these three survival truths, you know, Jesus is God. Jesus is man. He understands you. Jesus is sovereign. None of you are like, wow. Wow. That's a brand new truth that I've never heard before. That's that's amazing. I didn't know that. No, we all know that. That's Sunday school answers. The problem is not knowing it, but believing it and holding fast to it when it actually matters, or not letting other things cloud out what we know to be true. See, we're not always logical thinkers when we start to face trials. I know that that's true of me. J.C. Ryle says it well. He says, sight, sense, and feeling make men very poor theologians. And so what we need to do in the trials, we need to step back out of the emotions of the situation and we need to remember the truths of God's Word. I'm thoroughly convinced, thoroughly convinced that if I, if you, lived in accordance with with what we know and believe to be true about God, we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to worry or be anxious about what's going on around us in the world. Now, if I just took the two premises that God desires to do what is best and that God is able to do what is best, those two truths should result in me never getting anxious and never being afraid. But I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I still get anxious. Sometimes I still get afraid when the storms come. So what does that mean? Well, it means that I am, I'm starting to forget, or I'm starting not to believe one of those truths. I either think that God is not able to work all things for the good of those who love Him, or that God doesn't desire To work all things for the good of those who love him. But we know that neither of those are true. And we can't let the storms cloud our thinking of what we know to be true about God and his word. And that's why it's really important for us to be in a good place with God and have a good understanding of God before the storms come. You see, you don't start preparing as the storm is hitting when the storm's there you're in survival mode you're not in preparation mode and so you might not be walking through a storm right now in which case you need to be preparing you, know, you need to know the promises of god that you can cling to and trust in some of them like, like like not a single sparrow falls apart from his will think of that not a single sparrow falls apart from the will of god surely He cares more about you than he does about the sparrow. Or how about this, that God is working all things for his good. Not just some things. Not just the the good times. All things, and that includes the suffering and the storms he leads you into. Or how about this, that God disciplines those he loves. God loves you enough to send you into a storm. I love my children enough that I'll discipline my children. God loves us enough that he disciplines us. Or this one, that this light and momentary affliction is not worth comparing with the glory that is to come. You know who wrote that? That was the Apostle Paul. As he's being flogged and beaten and thrown into prison and persecuted, and he says, this light And momentary affliction is not worth comparing for the glory that is to come. See, storms can prevent our survival if we're not prepared for them. We saw that in the parable of the sower we looked at a few weeks ago. Trials and tribulation came and the plant withered. And you don't want to be caught in that situation. And you won't be if you've made yourself well acquainted with the word of God and all of its wonderful promises. If you know the gospel, and you hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that if God did not spare his own son, but surely gave him up for you, will he not also with him give us all things? That God was willing to send his most precious possession, his very son, to come and die on the cross for filthy sinners like us. Surely, he's not just going to abandon us to the storm. He will be with us every step of the way. I opened up this sermon talking about how the Christian life can feel like we're struggling to survive. Like the water's here and we can barely keep our heads above the water, like we are about to stop swimming and just perish. And maybe that's you this morning. And if it were up to you to keep swimming and to keep your head above the water, then you do have reason to despair because you will perish. There's nothing in you that will get you through the trials that you're in. You can't calm the wind and the waves. You might want to. You might try to. But you can't control this situation, this storm that you are in. But you know what you can do? You can run to the one who is able to. To the one who can save you. And who can give you the endurance to keep your head above water as long as you need to, you can call out to Jesus and say, I don't know if I can take it anymore. Help me. Save me. Lift me up out of the water and out of the storm. And Jesus will remind you of these three truths that we learned today. He has you in the storm for a reason. To teach you. To test you. To purify you. That you might come out shining and new, seeing his glory and power like never before. And I'll also tell you that you have no reason to be worried. He will never leave you or forsake you. That he is right there with you, that you are not alone, that he is holding your hand, and he is guiding you along as you walk through the storm. And he's going to give you the grace to get through. And I'll also tell you, my son, my daughter, do not fear you have no reason to be anxious. I am the Lord over the storms. No one can touch you. No one can harm you apart from my gracious will. No trial and temptation can overcome you. No hardship can destroy you. I'm the God of the universe. And I'm on your side. Let me leave you with, the, with some of the most reassuring words that hopefully you'll take deep into your hearts that you'll remember As you're in the storm and as in your as you're in the trial. These words from Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything nor, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Take those promises and hold on to them and Christ will get you through that storm. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we come to you as weary and wounded travelers Living in this sinful world where there are storms that we don't understand, where there are trials that we don't think we can bear, where there are difficulties, where we just plead with you, Lord, let it be done. And I pray, Lord, that for all of us as we try to survive these storms, that we remember these truths, that we remember, Lord, That in your goodness, you've sent us into the storm. That you will never leave us or you will never forsake us. That you are right there with us. That you feel our pain. That you know what we're going through. That we can, even though we don't know the words, we can call out to you and the spirit groans from our inward parts. And Lord, that you are powerful over the storm. God, that you can remove it that you can get us through, that this has not overcome us, that there is no enemy that you are not able to crush and destroy. Lord, help us to hold fast and encourage those this morning, God, who might be struggling. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.